listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. All right, we're going to jump into the second in our new message series, Vision for Life. If you were here last week, you understand that we began to talk about God's vision for your life, for your family, and for a church. And I planted a seed and let you know that we're going to be talking about the five core values that every person who's a Christ follower should have. They're the same five values that every family should have. If it's a Christian family, and the same five values that we've been operating under for the past two years here, the same five values should be applicable in every single church. Now you might say to yourself, how do you have the audacity to say that? I have the audacity to say that because I'm not basing it on my own opinion. You have better things to do than to come over here to listen by podcast to somebody who's just giving you their own opinion. Don't you have better things to do than just listen to opinions? What we need today in the United States of America is for the body of Christ to begin to hear the voice of God. That's what we need. What needs to happen in the world in which we live at this particular time is for a rediscovery of the presence and the power and the glory of God among his people. We cannot offer anything else rightly to God except the freedom for him to move among his people, change lives, and give back to him everything that he envisioned for us when he hung on the cross. And that's why this series is so significant for your life. That's why this series is so significant for your family. And that's why this series is so significant for this church and for every church leader who might be listening by podcast. We're going to talk again today about the vision that God has for your life, the vision that God has for your family, and the vision that God has for this church. And where are we going to turn but the Word of God in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Turn with me in John's Gospel, chapter 20. The Word of God. That's the book that we use that changes our lives. That's the compass for your life and for mine. It's what gives us God's vision. God's vision is throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And by reading the Bible and prioritizing the Bible, we get a clearer picture of what God envisions for our lives, what God envisions for our families, what God envisions for the church. And here it is again in John chapter 20, in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is the first Sunday, the resurrection Sunday, where Jesus has defied physiology, defied physics, defied biology, and come back to life after being brutally beaten, crucified, and buried in a tomb. On that day. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
The impartation of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, absolutely essential for their success. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We've diminished the role of the Holy Spirit in the evangelical community. No wonder we're experiencing a weakness. We're inept to the crises that we're facing as a nation, to the crises we face in the church, to the crises we face in our individual families and our personal lives. Don't let anybody tell you, including yourself, that you don't have an absolute, utter dependency upon the Holy Spirit in order to give Jesus Christ glory. If it was necessary for these three guys who had spent, these 12 guys, apart from Judas, he gets me excited sometimes, excuse me. (laughs) If it was necessary for these 11 guys, now that Judas, the backstabber, is out of the picture, who had spent three years with Jesus, to not yet be ready to give glory to Jesus until they are given the Holy Spirit, then what does that say for you and me who can only on our best days imagine what maybe Jesus looked like? Imagine what Jesus maybe sounded like. Imagine what it might have looked like to see Jesus walk on the water, to see him feed the 5,000 men, not including the, the women and the children. I know that in the evangelical community, many of us are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not afraid of the Holy Spirit, and neither should any Christ follower. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' not-so-secret weapon to empower you in your life to fulfill God's vision for your life. It's his not-so-secret weapon that God has given you as a follower of Jesus Christ in your Christian family to fulfill God's vision in your family. It's God's not-so-secret weapon. He, the Holy Spirit, is God's not-so-secret weapon in the life of the church that we desperately need, we must have, we must be submitted and surrendered to in order for the vision that Jesus has for the church to be realized. Get yourself hung up on, well, what does this mean? He breathed on them. Camp out on what we do know. Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was necessary and essential, and the apostles didn't have a problem with it. Why in the world do we? When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Doubting Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Three times Jesus is saying, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus, recognizing that Thomas had just called him God, rebuked him.
doesn't happen that way, does it? It's not what Jesus does. Thomas gets it right. This doubter gets it right. It's exactly right. My Lord and my God. Jesus should have rebuked him, should have corrected him if Thomas was wrong, but Jesus doesn't even flinch. Recognizing that Thomas, like all of us, is on a journey where his understanding of the lordship of Jesus just took a quantum leap forward. His understanding of the identity of Jesus just took a quantum leap forward. And perhaps yours has too, just now. Perhaps your understanding of the lordship of Jesus Christ, his deity, is about to take a quantum leap forward in your walk as a Christ follower. That's what's supposed to happen. Every time we open the Bible, we have an encounter with God. Every time we open the Bible, we have a personal word from God. And here it is. Hmm. Jesus said to him in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, if you're not paying attention to this passage of Scripture and its pertinence to God's vision in your life and how it intertwines and connects with another key passage in another book written by the same author, the Apostle John, you will miss something that is stated here twice, which is patently significant for you in your personal life and the fulfillment of God's vision in your personal life. It's absolutely essential for you to grasp and understand the peculiarity of this statement that is made twice. You must grasp it. You must let it sink down into the recesses of your gray matter and the deepest depths of your heart, evangelical friend, Pentecostal friend, conservative cessationist friend. Those of us who have just come to know Christ, those of us who have known Christ for decades, it's important to understand what is said twice in this passage if we are going to gain an understanding of God's vision in the church, the body of Christ. And here it is, peculiar as it is, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. The doors were locked. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus is the first fruits of what the resurrected life looks like, of what a resurrected body looks like. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, read it in your own time. Jesus is the first fruits. There's something about a resurrection body that has the capability of going through doors and windows and walls. There's no way to limit what is limitless, the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. He invites himself in. He lets himself into this room on two separate occasions, very clearly, the Apostle John is making a note of it. The doors were locked. Mere mortals don't go through walls and windows. And we know that Jesus is not a ghost. 
because he has Thomas put his hands where the marks were in his side and in his hands. We know that Jesus was not a ghost because ghosts don't eat fish. And we see that at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus is eating broiled fish with the apostles. The whole point is that Jesus is a foretaste of what you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, will one day have. Maybe you've realized the reality. As you get older, your body begins to have more problems, problems that you never anticipated, problems you never dreamt of. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed. And Jesus is the first fruit of your glorified body that is way better than your body ever looked, ever felt, ever will be this side of your crossing over. Something about that resurrection body had supernatural capability and if Jesus' body was the first fruits of what we as Christ followers will get, then hold on, the best is yet to come. God's best is yet to come. Why? Why would John make note of this perplexing peculiarity that defies physics, that the doors were locked? See, they weren't just shut, they were locked because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of persecution. And yet they were being faithful. Something for us in the United States of America to be encouraged by. Persecution is in the DNA of being a Christ follower. Get over it. If you're going to really follow Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. In fact, that's how you can tell whether or not you really are following Jesus Christ if you're being persecuted. John writes the Gospel of John. John writes the book of Revelation. And it is in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, that we come to another peculiar passage of Scripture that's correlated to this one in John's Gospel in chapter 20, where the doors are locked. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, is even more peculiar than Jesus' ability to get through doors, windows, and walls. Look with me. The same author would have been familiar with the gospel that he wrote. He's now been exiled to the island of Patmos off the coast of Turkey. Tradition has it that they tried to boil the apostle John in oil to kill him. And having failed at that, they exiled him to a godforsaken at that time island called Patmos. And God, who always gets the last laugh, writes through him on that island when he was forsaken by men, the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he will, he will eat with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, this is a passage that's often used in evangelistic discussions. Behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Let him in. Accept him as your Savior. And while that might be true, 
Let's not take it totally out of context and lose its original meaning in verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Don't you find it peculiar that the same Jesus who didn't have a problem with a locked door lets himself in to a locked room on two separate occasions and here in the book of Revelation is not doing that? Don't you find that to be peculiar and interesting and fascinating that Jesus, the omnipotent God, my Lord and my God, Thomas says, Jesus, God in the flesh, clearly demonstrated earlier, years earlier, the ability, walls, windows, doors, not a problem, but in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, verse 20, we don't know if the door is locked or not. We just know that it's closed. And we just know that it's the door of the church. And we just know that somehow Jesus, in all of his power, didn't lose his humility, could have forced himself on the church, could have sent a host of angels to knock down that door if he wanted to, could have breathed on that door if he wanted to, made it open wide. I mean, after all, God has a few options at his disposal to do whatever he wants. And the irony of ironies is that the church that exists because Jesus created it, with the passage of time, now has Jesus outside trying to get in. You know, I love what Jim Cimbala, founder of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, said in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. You'd do well to commit this quote to memory as I have. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala said, we're a lot like the church of Laodicea. In fact, we have so institutionalized Laodiceanism that we think lukewarm is normal. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, the context prior to Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, is Jesus' loving, earnest, sincere, I think heartbreaking appeal. And yes, a rebuke to the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salto anoint your eyes, so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. None of us arrives at a point in our walk with Jesus where we've done all the repenting we could do. 
God's vision for your life is that you be a person who continually repents. God's vision for your family is that your family be one of where you're continually repenting. You're having family meetings and the dad is apologizing to the mom in front of the children. And the mother is accepting that forgiveness in front of the children. That's how children learn how to be godly. And the children apologize to the mom and dad and the mom and dad forgive them and pronounce their forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And in the body of Christ, as this is spoken very clearly, seven churches here in the book of Revelation, here to the church of Laodicea, again, Jesus clearly says, repent. God's vision for a life, for a family, and for a church is that repentance be the new modus operandi. How much repentance do you need? Just a little more. See, in our house, we have a state-of-the-art security system. You would do well to have a good state-of-the-art security system today in the world in which we live. At our house, we also have some secondary precautions that I won't go into detail other than to say that if someone tried to get into our house, they would come across a few surprises that would make home alone pale in comparison. (laughs) But in your home security system, you might have an alarm, you might have motion detectors, you might have uh, the exercise of your right to keep and bear arms in your house, and you might have multiple arms in multiple locations in multiple stages of readiness. You might have a watchdog, you might have backup systems, you would do well to have all that stuff, but the fundamentally most important thing, the fundamental most important thing in your house is that you would have locks on your windows and your doors. That's just plain common sense. That's smart. It's beneficial. It's protective. But when it comes spiritually speaking, to locks on the windows and the doors. In regard to the movement of Jesus in your own life and in your family and in the church, locks are a bad thing. You need to remove the locks in your life that are keeping Jesus from getting to the areas that he has been speaking to you about through your conscience the areas that he's been speaking to you about through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the areas that he's been speaking to you about through the the transformation of your whole self by the renewing of your mind, as we looked at last time together in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Unlock the doors and the windows. Let Jesus come into those areas that only he can change. That's what repentance is. In fact, I don't think it's far enough to simply unlock the doors and the windows of your life and of your family and of a church, take the doors off their hinges. God's vision for your life. Do you hear what God is trying to say to us? God's vision for your life. I cannot say this with enough credit to what God is trying to impress upon you individually and in your family and in this church. God's vision for you, for us, is that there be no doors between us and him. There be no hindrance between Jesus being able to come and go and move freely in your life. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It is because God loves you that he wants his vision to be unleashed, realized in your life, realized in your family, realized in the church. Who are we to try to give Jesus something other than what he wants, other than what he died for? 
We should not have doors between us and Jesus in our personal life, in our families, in the church. And yet, how good we are, how adept we have become at building doors, locking windows, keeping Jesus out, doing what we should not do. Spoken of in 2 Timothy chapter 3, an important passage of Scripture that you would do well to look at and pay attention to right now. 2 Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless. Paul, stay your hand. He's just trying to paint a picture, trying to use words of what the world will be like. In the last of the last days, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. People of the world don't care about looking godly. Who even cares about looking godly? It's you and it's me. We care more about looking godly than we do about the power and the presence of God. What has happened to us in the evangelical church, the church triumphant? We no longer have a passion for the presence and power of God. Moses understood that when he said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want the promised land. But you know what we're satisfied with today? The promised land. We're happy with the building. We're happy with the numbers. We're happy with the money. But all along, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have the presence and power of God. The distinguishing fingerprint of the presence and power of God that reflects the glory of God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is locked outside of his own church. Is he locked outside of your own life? Are there doors that you keep locked? Are there doors that you put up in your own private life with Jesus that Jesus better not tread? You wonder why you don't hear from the Spirit of God. You are hearing from the Spirit of God. God's not going to cast pearls before swine. Him whom I love, I rebuke. And thy discipline don't confuse the rebuke of the Holy Spirit and the discipline of the Holy Spirit with God not loving you. It's because he loves you that he speaks to you and he wants you to take your doors off their hinges. It's time that you and I get out of the rut. We'll never be a church of regional, national, international impact if we're not first willing to become a church of local impact. And we'll never be a church of local impact if in our own private lives and if our own families we have doors where Jesus better not tread. Get rid of the locks. Better yet, take the doors off their hinges. What has happened to us that we have lost our hunger our hunger for the presence of Jesus Christ. You know what kind of church Jesus envisions? A church without any doors. A church where the doors 
are off the hinge, where he doesn't even have to stand and knock at all, where he has a standing invitation where his people are looking to him and calling out to him, inviting him, and Jesus is actually in their midst. That's what Jesus envisioned. Don't believe me. Believe the word of God. Jesus is speaking to the churches when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. It is for intimacy that Jesus died and took all of your sins on himself. It's for fellowship. So you have to understand the vision that Jesus has for grace fellowship. It's not my vision. I'm just trying to espouse it. I'm just trying to help us understand it and buy into it. I'm just trying to whet your appetite and to say no to a form of religiosity that we could easily settle for and confuse, confuse, and mistake God's success for ours. Larry Crabb. Maybe you've heard of Dr. Larry Crabb. Best-selling author, wrote many books. He has a BS in psychology. He has a master's in clinical psychology and a PhD in psychology. I think that Larry Crabb knows a thing or two about psychology. He's a godly man. He's a Christian. Wrote multiple books, among them, Understanding People, The Marriage Builder, and Finding God. Now, keep in mind that this is a psychologist who has many years of clinical expertise. He's got his own ministry called New Way Ministries. He's a clinical psychologist, a godly man, a best-selling author, and here he is in his book, Finding God, talking about the church in the West, talking about the typical church in the United States of America, and this is what he had to say, helping people to feel loved and worthwhile has become the central mission of the church. And I would say it's also become the central vision of the church. We're learning not to worship God in self-denial and costly service, but to embrace our inner child, heal our memories, overcome addictions, lift our depressions, improve our self-images, establish self-preserving boundaries, substitute self-love for self-hatred. Jesus said whoever does not hate his father and his mother. Deny himself, cannot be my disciple, remember that. And replace shame with an affirming acceptance of who we are. Recovery from pain is absorbing an increasing share of the church's energy, and that is alarming. We've become committed to relieving the pain behind our problems rather than using our pain to wrestle more passionately with the character and purpose of God. Feeling better has become more important than finding God. And I would say, than experiencing God. As a result, we happily camp on biblical ideas that help us feel loved and accepted, and we pass over Scripture that calls us to higher ground. We twist wonderful truths about God's acceptance, His redeeming love, and our new identity in Christ into a basis for honoring ourselves rather than seeing those truths for what they are, the stunning revelation of a God gracious enough to love people who hated him, a God worthy to be honored above everyone and everything else. We've rearranged things so that God is now worthy of honor because he has honored us. God, tricky this is. 
Worthy is the Lamb, we cry, not in response to his amazing grace, but because he has recovered what we value most, the ability to like ourselves. We now matter more than God. Let me tell you very clearly what I believe is God's vision for Grace Fellowship and what I believe is God's vision for your own life and what I believe is God's vision for your family. It's not my vision. It's God's vision. God does not need another church where we try to cram the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God into a man-shaped box. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying it as a matter of observation. As Dr. Crabb so rightly observed as a clinical psychologist with private practice, meeting with hundreds of people, knowing the human psyche very well and knowing the human spirit very well as a godly man, not just a psychologist. What this world needs is not another dog and pony show. What the world needs are environments where there are no hinges because there are no doors, where God can come and inhabit the praises of his people, where God can move in a family because he's really welcome, where God can move in an individual life because he's really welcome, where God can move in a church family and all the ministries of a church because the invitation is continually going out. The welcome mat is continually being dusted off, and Jesus knows without any lack of clarity whatsoever that you're welcome here. You are truly welcome here. See, our nation is in trouble, and we all know it. Our families are in trouble, and we all know it. I just read today that in New York, it is now required that whoever gives birth to the child must now indicate whether they are male or female, not the child. The one giving birth to the child. This is the world we live in, my friends. We've removed God, and I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in the church. Jesus is standing outside his own church that he died to create, longing to get in. And I think it's high time that we rediscover our hunger for the presence of Almighty God. I do. I don't want to give God a dog and pony show. I don't want to give God just activities where we're busy for Jesus. And neither do you. There is something deep down inside of you, and actually I don't think it needs to be that deep. You know that it's there. You long for the presence and the power and an intimate, abiding relationship with God because that's in your spiritual DNA. The only problem is that something else is in your DNA, a desire to substitute other things for him. And that's where the doors go up. That's where the locks go on the windows and on the doors. What I envision is a church where the leaders love each other genuinely, where the leaders trust each other genuinely. What I envision is a church where the families are fellowshipping together love each other, genuinely, fellowship 
together. What I envision is what God envisions in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, where the believers were one in heart, one in mind, sharing their possessions, and the Lord added to their number daily. Of course he's going to add to the number daily. When the kingdom of God invades the kingdoms of men, you cannot help but have people be blown away that there is a God and his name is Jesus. And this gospel stuff that the apostles were preaching is actually true. And this Bible stuff that these wacky, nutty, evangelical Christians say is true, really is true. We don't need to try to persuade people at an intellectual level anymore about the reality of the gospel and the reality of the Holy Spirit and the reality of the resurrection and the reality of Jesus longing to be among his people, to live and to move and to have his being in our midst. I envision because God envisions, and you should too, a church where Jesus is truly, not theoretically, truly welcome. I envision families where Jesus is truly moving without hindrance, not in theory. I envision because God envisions individual lives that are surrendered to Jesus Christ, not comparing your Christian walk to what other Christians are doing. Listen to what I believe God wants you to hear. There is no place in the Bible where we are commended or encouraged or it's even suggested that you are to take any type of well-being, any type of comfort in where you are in your walk with Christ compared to where your husband or your wife is or your coworkers or your pastor or elders or deacons or children. In fact, Paul says when we compare ourselves to ourselves, are we not fleshly? What a revolution of God's vision would happen in your life. What a revolution of God would happen in your family. Revolution of God in any, any church, not just this church, any and every church, if we took the doors off their hinges, humbled ourselves, truly, and said, Jesus, you're welcome in this place. There is nothing that I withhold from you. Brothers and sisters, when I say that it is my firm belief and my undying passion, listen, that this be a church of local, regional, national, international impact, I mean it because God means it. And in order for that to become a reality in your life individually, you have got to take the doors off their hinges. And when we do that together, then we will be able to sing, Holy Spirit, you're all welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your presence, Lord, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome with your presence. Is that really your heart cry? Because if it is, God will hear it. And that is our greatest need of the day, individually, in our families, and in our churches.
to recapture, in some instances, to capture for the very first time a longing and a hungering for the very presence of God and forgetting everything else. I am so serious when I say that. This is not some type of a message that I'm trying to give just to give a message. This is something that I do not have the capability in my humanness to convey to you. It is something that God himself wants you to understand. It is something that God himself is begging and pleading with us as a church family and in your own family. The times that we're living in are desperate. They're going to get more desperate. God's solution is his presence and his power. And the only way God's presence and power is unleashed and manifest in a life and in a family and in a church is if that life and if that family and if that church takes all of the doors off their hinges. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're at a place in your walk with Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward today. And I mean you. I really do. I really do. Why do we do altar calls? We do them all the time. We do them all the time. Jesus said multiple times in the book of Revelation, each one of the churches, repent, repent, repent. One of the churches, he said, remember the height from which you have fallen. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand in a moment to say, you know what? I want the doors of my life off their hinges. I want the doors that I've put up in my family that haven't allowed Jesus to move freely off their hinges. I want the doors in this church that have kept Jesus at bay off their hinges. So I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. But first, as the first issue of salvation, maybe you have not yet given your life to Christ. And that presents a huge obstacle, a locked shut door you've got to open that door you've got to say Jesus come in and save me like Thomas said my Lord and my God Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins if that's you you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time would you raise your hand and say that's me I want to give my life to Jesus as my Savior and my God seal the deal open up the door that I be born again and have forgiveness of all my sins hand nice and high I want to lead you in prayer Lord God, forgive me of my sins. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I receive Jesus as my Savior, my God, my Master right now. Thank you for washing away all of my sins, cleansing me, renewing me, filling me, and sealing my eternal destiny now as your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, heads bowed, eyes closed. <clears throat> I've poured myself out as best as I can and done a completely inadequate job of it trying to appeal to all of us including myself that this is so serious the presence and power of God now I'm going to give you an opportunity before the Lord to be serious in response maybe there's a door in your life maybe there are multiple doors where you've told Jesus uh 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 hands off maybe you've got a need in your life where you don't have the human strength to be able to take care of it yourself, but Jesus has all the resources of glory at his disposal. And you want to give those areas or that area to Jesus and ask him to flood. Flood and overcome and overwhelm. This is for you. 
Maybe you've been an obstacle and you realize it. An obstacle to God's work in your own life. You've settled for having a form of godliness, but denied the fundamental characteristic in your own life of a Christ follower, which is the power and presence of Jesus. And you want to go to that deeper, higher place. Now listen, don't get up unless you mean it. And don't come forward unless you mean it. But by all means, for the glory of God, hear the words of Jesus. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. If that is you, I know it's me. I know it's me. If that is you, would you stand and say, I want the doors of my life off their hinges. I want the doors of my family off their hinges. I want the doors of this church off their hinges. You open your eyes and you look around. You open your eyes and you look around before we pray. If we really mean it, go ahead, look around. If we really mean it, if we really mean it, then by the grace of Almighty God, this indeed will be a church of local, regional, national, and international impact because the sum will be the whole of the parts. This place called York, Pennsylvania, which was known years ago in the founding of our country, will once again be known. Not that we can draw attention to ourselves, but so that we can draw attention to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what is needed in this area. A church with no doors. A church with no hinges. Where we no longer lock in our personal lives and in our families. If it's going to be, it's up to me. That needs to be your saying before the true and living God. You know what hinge needs to be unscrewed, taken off. You know what door needs to be removed in your own life. Father, you see the hearts of your people whom you love. They're important to you. They're important to us. All these prayers going up now to you, Lord, where you know the doors that we put up. You know what needs to be given to you. Take the doors, Lord. Take the hinges. We ask you to flood our lives individually. We ask you to flood our lives in our families. We ask you to do that here at this church. And brothers and sisters, when we say that, it means that this church cannot. It means that your family cannot. It means that your life cannot any longer look the way it used to look. Repentance, by its very very definition, means a fundamental, ongoing change for the glory of God. Now with that in mind, let's sing. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. 
To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.